On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss what exactly makes a good open source citizen. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 57 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Groups, Discourse Servers, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. Welcome to another episode of DLN Extend, and with me are my fantastic co-hosts, Wendy, the photographer that puts us all to shame when she looks at our pictures, and the person with the totally unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE, Nate. What's going on, guys? Hey! Life is going on. Exciting things, I think. That's not fair. I don't tell you guys that you have horrible pictures. It's true. She doesn't. She's too nice for that. <laughs> it's just implied. No, you guys just don't share them with me. Right. Well, there's that. <laughs> it's so we can avoid the critique. <laughs> Constructive criticism is good for everybody. Yes, it is. <laughs> so <laughs> with all that being said, Wendy, what have you been up to? I found another super awesome deal at my local pawn shop. Yes, I know. I swear I practically live there anymore. This is another Surface laptop. It's a Pro 3. Really awesome little machine. Got for a great deal. But I'm not actually keeping this one. It's going to be going to somebody else. They're new to Linux, new to the whole Linux experience. And I've been trying to decide what OS I wanted to put on there. Because first I threw on Manjaro because, you know, that's what I run all my systems. I'm going to be helping to support the system. If you're doing your regular updates and that kind of thing, it's really not a big deal. That's one of the things I like about Manjaro. The problem came when it went to finding software. Pemac is ugly to say the least. It's got the bare bones in there, but if you don't know what you're looking for, it's a lot harder to find something. So I decided, well, I still want to stick with a plasma base. And that's mainly just because I know what it is. If I get a support call, I want to be able to go to my system and walk through it as I'm walking them through it. I threw Kubuntu on there, live booted up just fine. But then when I went to go boot into the actual installed system, black screen, like it wouldn't boot at all. Just was don't have time to deal with this, nor do I want an update to mess with something. And then you're ending back up in that black screen. Uh, Nightmarish. Right. Yeah, that is nightmarish. So I did something that I thought I would never do in a million years. I downloaded Elementary and I installed it on this Surface Pro 3. Here's the thing that amazed me the most about it. Of course, it's pretty. I love the software center side of it because you can find stuff in there, right? If you're looking for something new, it's got this beautiful laid out action. But the best part about this is I didn't mess at all all with any of the special kernel stuff or the Microsoft Surface devices, it had touchscreen sensitivity from the very beginning. Wow. And that is absolutely amazing on all of the other Surface devices that I have that I've played with. In order to get touchscreen to work, you had to install that specialty Surface kernel. I'm blown away by the fact that it worked out of the box without messing with any of that stuff. They had that specialty kernel already patched into elementary then. Maybe. I'm going to assume because 
because it's an older Surface device that the older stuff that had been in those specialty kernels has potentially been rolled into the generic Linux kernel. Just taking a wild guess. Maybe. But still, that's awesome. That is cool that that worked out of the box. Yeah, it is. I kind of had the same experience. I mean, I had many generations ago Surface Pro 2. Everything just worked out of the box on a straight Ubuntu install. And I was like blown away because even Windows didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Elementary will be an interesting choice, especially in your case. I know you're not using it, but supporting it. It'll be interesting to see some of uh, your takes on it. I haven't quite decided if I'm going to give it with elementary on it yet. I'm kind of back and forth on some of that. And it's not that I dislike elementary. It's just that it's really locked down. And I start thinking, wait, this device isn't for you. At this point, the person that you're giving it to doesn't care about theming, doesn't care about a lot of those other things. It's just, is it easy enough to use? Can I find my way around for the stuff that I need? And can this person find and install applications easily enough? And I think at this point, elementary is ticking all those boxes. Can we eventually put a different version of Linux on there at a different time? Sure, absolutely. But this might be the best way to go for an introduction into Linux. Definitely cool. Can't wait to hear more about that one. Nate, what's been going on with you this week? Something I just started playing with. I've not gotten very far with this yet. Something called PyMiga. I'm into vintage or older computer systems, you know, computers that I grew up with. Big fan of them, the Commodore 64 and the Amiga. But what this PyMiga is, is a very interesting project. It's a guy by the name of Chris Edwards. He just released version 1.5 last month or so, and I downloaded it. It was a rather large download torrent. And I had to download some other things because I didn't have all the right proprietary bits from the Amiga. Apparently, it's still under copyright, and so you have to purchase the Kickstart ROM to make it work. But what PyMiga is, take a Raspberry Pi computer, a Pi 4 preferably, or 400, and you're turning it into an Amiga plus Linux. You basically boot into what is the a little bit more of a modernized version of the Amiga Workbench, the graphical user interface from 1985, I guess. That got some updates over the next 10 years of its life or whatever, 15 years. But it has Chromium built into it or Audacity or whatever other applications you want. So it's like you're using the Amiga and having access to all these Linux applications on top of it. Now, how it exactly works, I really haven't dug into it enough yet, but my understanding is it emulates the Amiga portion of it. How it does the Workbench or how does the, the graphic user interface, I don't fully understand that part of it yet. No, it's not an Amiga. It isn't. But it's amazing how Amiga like it is. So it's kind of like if the Amiga would have continued, this is what it would be today, essentially. All right, there'll be some arguments there. Somebody who might be, you know, more plugged into the Amiga community than I am might say it never actually died. It just went to the witness protection programs. It's very neat to see. It has all of the benefits of Linux, essentially, and then running the Amiga applications, games, and so forth. And what is also amazing to me is how vibrant the Amiga community is. And there's still applications being written for it today for the traditional Amiga. And kind of like the Commodore 64 scene, how it hasn't really died. It uses the Amiga 1200's kickstart. That's the only thing I can require right now. He has a light edition, which has programs and games, no videos. But then he has what's called an MF edition, which I think means like maxi full. I don't know. Has 65,000 plus ADF or disk images. The Commodore Amiga software on there, games and so forth. He says he hasn't actually gone through and tested everything. But well, I'm a little disappointed you couldn't test 65,000, right? There and it's available and I have downloaded it. Plus it's one more use for all those pies that you picked up. Yes, it is. Specifically the Pi 400 is the one I'm playing with it on. I looked at that one on 
one of the pie stores. It looks so incredibly cool. I might have to get my hands on that. How are you liking it? The keyboard is not the best keyboard. It's okay. It's a good keyboard. It's not bad by any means. If you're used to a mechanical keyboard or some more high-end keyboards, you're probably not going to be thrilled with it, but you're not really going to type your next great essay on it anyway, likely. You never know. You never know. For me, it's a toy. It's a fun toy. It's an educational toy. You're not going to pop out the PyMega SD card, pop in the an OpenSUSE image or the Raspberry Pi OS image. It's like a cartridge from the days of old popping into a Commodore 64 or an Apple II. I guess it's actually more closely aligned to an Apple II as far as the dream behind it. It's a fun toy. It comes with a lot of educational stuff for the kids to learn programming on it already. I highly recommend it. Matt, what do you have going on in your world? I understand you've been very busy. You've not been as uh, vocal and as boisterous as you have been. I'm wondering what might be going on in your world. Uh, just poking fun at you and your open SUSE obsession. That's all, like usual. <laughs> oh, oh, it's an almost unhealthy obsession. Just so we're clear. Just so we're clear, it is totally unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I've been actually trying to declutter my recording studio because uh, I got a lot of junk here. <laughs> so it went from cable management of the recording studio to now just an overhaul clean out. Yeah. Finding random wires. I'm like, I don't even remember what this goes to <laughs> kind of deal. <laughs> so I'm like cleaning out bins of wires and other stuff that I'm like, I don't remember where this goes to throwing out broken wires and chargers and just all the other random stuff that as technology people, we tend to uh, collect. Well, Nate, you would know best. Well, now actually as a fair warning, you put a bunch of cables into a box. They actually replicate somehow. I'm not really sure how that happens, but they do produce new broken ones. Really strange phenomenon. Yes. And the next thing you know, that bucket is overflowing and you're like, holy cow, where did all these come from? Looking right now, I have three of them. <laughs> three big. Bins full of wires. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of wires. That's a lot of junk. Obviously, I've been working more on some cable management still. There's other areas that I need to get fixed besides just my primary recording area. Pretty much all I've been up to is just getting things cleaned up and cleaned out because, man, does clutter happen when you enjoy technology. <laughs> mm, yeah, well, clutter happens in general, but with technology, it just seems to get you all tangled up. <laughs> well, Wendy, after seeing the picture that you sent with all the computers and stuff that were on your desk... <laughs> See, this is why I need a desk this big. Actually, I could have used one much bigger than this. For those that don't understand what the picture was, we talk a lot about me having a lot of random computers that I quote unquote don't use, use, whatever. Wendy has me beat by a lot. <laughs> Granted, all of hers are used. Difference. Yes, they're all used. Well, there was the stack of laptops that are going for school. So they just arrived. They were on my desk. I was working on my daughter's laptop. I think I had the Surface Pro 6 on here. And then my tower's not on my desk. So that computer's actually on the floor. But yeah, on the one side of my desk, it was just a wall of laptops. I'm like, see, see, guys, don't look under my desk because I haven't dealt with cable management yet because I still have to finish putting things where it goes. So, don't look at the wires, but just look at all the glorious laptops. Look at the fun on top. I remember seeing the Surface Book, Surface Pro 6, I think the co-op laptop set you had recently gotten. Yeah. And the ones that you actually had and you were updating the kids you. And I was like, holy smokes. There are a lot of laptops in this house between just about everybody having their own. The younger kids don't quite yet. They share. But my daughter's got one that she's claimed. And it's a Lenovo. It's one of the larger laptops we have. My husband has claimed the Surface Book as his. He's now decorated the back of it with all kinds of stickers. I've pretty much claimed the Pro 6. And then the kids prefer to use the tablets most of the time for a lot of the game stuff that they're playing. That's just crazy. Like I said, people say I have too much tech. 
I mean, granted, at least yours is being used. Mine is sporadically used. My excuse is that there's six people in this house. Yes, yes. <laughs> when mom's a techie, then everybody gets tech. Yes. Let's be fair on this. What does too much really mean? If it's all being utilized or all has a purpose, that's not too much. That's just enough. There's probably room for more. There's a difference between being used and purpose. You can have something that has a purpose that is never used. But granted, yes, most people don't have a desk full of laptops like I do. No. <laughs> or the rest of, or the rest of you and me. You're not really going to be able to tell me what too much is. I might look at that and say, oh yeah, Wendy has too much. You know. Meanwhile, I look at the stacks of things around me. Nate, your <laughs> cubicle's full of stuff. Well, it's a super cubicle because it has a bunch of super stuff. There in you it. go. DigitalOcean is offering their app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point your GitHub repository and let the App Platform do all the heavy lifting. It has support for many programming languages such as Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Plus, there's support for static sites, Docker, and container images. What are the other cool things that go with this DigitalOcean app platform service? High stability, zero infrastructure management, run code with little to no customizations. App platform uses cloud native standards and automatically analyzes your code creates containers, and runs them on Kubernetes clusters. As a DLN Extend listener and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. So speaking of being full of super stuff like Nate's super cubicle, let's talk about what makes someone a good open source citizen. A super citizen of open source. I have my own takes on this. This really comes a lot from the recent announcement of Audacity being part of Muse Group now, which has caused some interesting ripples in the, the open source community. I don't want to solely look at that, but that is a major reason we are looking at this particular topic. There are some things that are awesome from what they're saying and based on past history. And then there's some stuff that they're doing that some might find concerning. Wendy, what's your take on what you've seen so far, seeing how people like you, me and Nate, we really rely on Audacity. <laughs> yeah, Audacity has become a big part of my life. I actually spend a lot of time in it every single week anymore. My biggest concern, not so much that Muse Group is taking it over. I'm not worried about Audacity becoming a proprietary software. They've already said that they have other software that they're working on and it has stayed open source. So they've at least have a track record of taking on an open source project and keeping it open source. That I think for the most part, I'm okay with. My biggest concern is this is a group that is all focused on music and I use Audacity in a podcast way. It's all very voice heavy, voice related. Yeah, there's music in our podcast, but it's a little bit sprinkled out here and there. It's not actual 
music development. So right now, my biggest concern is maybe losing some of the features that are meant for voice or the voice only podcast style features not being worked on as time goes by. I think that's a valid concern. I know you're using this application a lot too, Nate. Heck, you're even doing a backup recording this week with Audacity because you had internet issues last week. So what do you think about this? change. Yeah, this is true. I use Audacity a lot. It's one of those regular applications that I use and I've enjoyed for many years now. At this point, I'm not really concerned about anything with Muse. They have other projects. And they've been very upfront and cheeky about the issues with Audacity, you know, the multiple magnifying glass icons that they have and so forth. So I think what to me makes a good open source citizen is one, when the organization, whoever's running the ship or the open source project, that they don't close off or start taking away features that you have. That's huge because, you know, I don't use all the features in Audacity, but the features I do use, I want to continue to use them. Should those features go away, there's nothing that I've read so far that says that they're going to take away from Audacity. But what does concern me is what if they make like a premium version of Audacity? Those features that I'm using on a regular basis would become part of a premium package as opposed to what I'm using now. And I'd have to pay a monthly fee or annual subscription or, or something like that. That's where I get a little concerned. There's no evidence that that's going to happen. That's not even a rumbling. I haven't seen anything that says that. But what there is that has happened that people are worried about is the introduction of metrics with the first GitHub poll or whatever it was where they're adding these different metrics into it, but they're opt-in metrics. Yes, do I like metrics? I don't want my desktop to just constantly be giving information to whomever all the time. But I'm not against metrics though either. If there's something that I can provide to those that manage the software and build it, give me all the tools and freedoms that I have, I should be able to give back to the project. And if it means just helping improving it through some metrics, you know, some like crash reports or how long you're using something or something like that, I'm fine with that as long as they're telling me what it is that they're making. So a good open source citizen is someone that they can communicate to me very clearly in ways that I can understand. So it's okay if they talk down to me a little bit, playing, I'm going to take this from you. I'm going to, I need this information from you. I'm okay with that. And as long as they're asking, I think that's being a good open source citizen, as long as they're being upfront and clear about what they need. I'm not worried about giving some information for that too, because we've had other projects in the past inside the Linux community who has asked for some specific information. And A, it being an opt-in, not an opt-out. I hope they stick with that. I hope it never becomes an opt-out. I hope it always stays an opt-in. And then tell us what information you're taking, where that information is going, and how it is being use because it's still my information. So if you're going to take it and use it to better the project, honestly, I love that. I have no problems with that, but I want to know how it's being stored and how it's being used. I like to make sure that also it cannot be used against me in any way. I've read someplace that they are going to have a UUID, some sort of an ID, so they can track like this particular installation of, which I'm not really against that. At the same time, it does make me a little bit nervous. So as long as they're clear about that and they're not using it for marketing purposes. The thing is, these guys have been very upfront about what specifically the reason they're having the metrics and the analytics so that they can focus on things like developing developing the tools and the filters and that kind of stuff with their limited resources. And I'm okay with that. And again, like you guys, I'm fine as long as the option in some way, shape or form is there for me to either be a part of it or not. Once you take away that control element of you're going to say analytics, regardless of whether or not you like it, that's when, like you, Nate, I would have a really big problem. I want to be a willing participant, not an unwitting participant. Exactly. (laughs) And that goes with any open source project. That's one of the reasons I have not installed Jing OS yet on the Surface Pro 6 is it tells you they're taking analytics, but there's no opt in, opt out. And I'm really uncomfortable with situations that there's no choice. 
Yeah, it starts to make bring up the question, why are they not giving you a choice? The arguments are some, a lot of people just say no. To obfuscate or limit the understanding as to why they're taking it does bring into question, what are you doing? I don't want to say, hey, what are you doing? I'd like to know, hey, I need these things. Can I have these things? Yeah, sure. That's fine. You know, it's like when someone asks to borrow a tool, hey, I need a hammer drill. Cool. I'll give you my hammer drill. But if they come in and they take it and they don't tell me, yeah, that's kind of a problem. Or I'm taking this and I'll give it back when I'm ready to give it back and not actually ask. They're just telling you they're taking it. And you never see it again. <laughs> yes. Then right. in Nate's case, it's gone for so long that he goes to the neighbor and, hey, isn't that mine? No, totally not. <laughs> it has my name on Pretty it. Pretty sure it's mine. <laughs> no, I just named it Nate. That's all. <laughs> oh, you're saying I'm a tool, huh? Wow, that went dark fast. <laughs> I didn't mean go there. Wow. But so far, this Muse group seems to be really good about being a good open source citizen. And we need to be good open source citizens in the fact of giving them a chance to share that. There are some parts of the community that we've talked about before that are not great citizens. And we've talked about the users of Linux sometimes not being good citizens of the open source community. That's a good point. So I can't say anything bad about this current change because right now they're being great. I just don't know if the people reading this news have been great to them. Yeah, it's weird for me. The thing that makes a good open source citizen or good open source participant is transparency. And from what I've seen so far, these guys have been very transparent. Any issues that the community has brought up, like, you know, hey, why are you using Yandex? indexing Google instead of, you know, whatever. And they've been very open about it and they're willing to take those things head on. And I kind of commend them for that because that shows a, a level of transparency. There is the guy that currently in charge of MuseScore, which is their other open source application, is also the guy that's now in charge of Audacity. He's on YouTube. I believe he goes by the name of Tentacruel, if I remember correctly. Guy's got like 250,000 subs or something. He has an entire video talking to the developers and kind of the history of Audacity. So it's really interesting because it shows that they're willing to have a level of transparency. It's really hard when certain elements of the community tend to come in expecting the worst out of an announcement like this. When a company or a group, in this case, has a track record that's shown they've been good, when you go in expecting the worst, but individual has only shown the best or a company, why are you going to expect the worst? Oh, they're going to let me down? Like, that's human nature. We're all going to let somebody down at some point. <laughs> For me, it's how transparent are you and how quick to respond to mistakes and that kind of stuff that do happen along the way. Right. Willing to either own up to them, do what you can to fix them, participate and try to fix stuff as quickly as you can and get the community back behind you so that you can move forward. I think that's really what makes a good open source citizen an open source project. Yeah. And there are some projects it's okay to be skeptical about because they have not proven a positive track record. And there's a hardware company I'm thinking of right now. <clears throat> you guys all know which one I'm talking about, though I'm not going to say it, <laughs> who has a horrible no track record and continue to prove no how horrible they are as far as holding up to promises. So I'm not saying that every single project or every single open source piece, you have to just be blindly following, oh, they're going to do great. There's okay to have some skepticism there 
with projects that have proven they don't have a good track record in holding up to their promises. But if you're taking something like Muse Group in this very specific case, they have a track record not only with open source projects, but now being open about some of the stuff that they're doing as they're taking on a new project. That's one of those situations where, hey, if you have constructive criticism, that can be great to share. But at the same time, if you're just sending hate mail, that's only going to damage the projects that they currently are holding. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. There are other companies that come to mind that are automatically given past histories defaulted to font of Satan. The viewpoints from the community and given history, I understand that. But if you're looking within the last, I would say, six, seven years specifically, there's been a very big change with that particular entity. They're not perfect. They're not the best, but they have been a decent open source citizen. Not everything that we want from them is open source, but there are other companies that we praise in the open source community that not everything is open source. We tend to err on the side of too much criticism sometimes and not enough of like, we don't appreciate when somebody is a good open source citizen when we have a negative connotation or a negative view on them. Whatever they do, despite prior record, if their new record is showing something different, it's all a wash to a lot of the aspects of the community. I think it's a rough road to always be on. It's like, why am I going to keep going down the same road if I'm always going to get hit the same bumps along the way kind of deal? Yeah, if it doesn't matter what I do, I'm always treated as though I've done something bad. Then why do you continue to care or try and do Mm -hmm. better? Exactly. I think you're trying to allude that Steam is not completely an open source company. I would argue they're good open source Mm -hmm. citizens Mm -hmm. because of what they have done for the community. They've enabled me to play more games on my open source based operating system a lot more than, um, well, anybody else. Games are not always open source, and I'm okay with that because just by the nature of what games are. There's a lot of closed source games. I'm okay with games because they're not an integrated part of my desktop environment. So they have like a different rule set in my mind, you know, like a cartridge or when I pop into my Super Nintendo or something like that. I'm going there for a specific experience that is all on this one piece of kit, right? Games and Steam, they tend to be like that too. Also, if I'm without an internet connection, which actually happened for like three days over the weekend here, with Steam, I can still play those games, obviously not in network mode, but I can still play them locally. They've enabled me very much to be able to enjoy the applications that I purchased. I mean, that makes them a good citizen as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. If we want to focus solely on the Steam or Valve specifically, we wouldn't be able to play the amount of Windows developed only games that we can on Linux. We have a halfway decent graphics driver stack now because of these guys. We have controller support. Right. There's a lot of better input, better. There are so many things that they've worked on on the back end as a closed source company that have helped the overall ecosystem and the day-to-day usage that despite being a closed source company and their service and all of the stuff that they sell, is closed store. Generically, I mean, there are things like Krita and a few other open source applications on the store, but that's a different aspect. They are a good open source citizen. There are other companies that I was referring to, not just Steam or Valve. That's a whole another can of worms and an argument I don't really want to get into. (laughs) Or this may be a two-hour show. Yeah, let's not. We can save it for a part two some other time in the future. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free.
Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move, like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Speaking of being good open source citizens, we're going to be some gaming citizens now because we just ended on uh, talking about Steam and Valve and Proton and all that fun stuff. Wendy, what game has your daughter made you play? She did. She is just (laughs) as bad as you are when it comes to game enabling. They had been watching this one YouTuber and he was playing one of the Henry Stickman games and it was actually quite funny. So we looked it up together, found that one of the collections was on sale we got it and she was kind of playing with me and it is so silly it is one of the silliest games ever henry is literally a stick man and you go through these different situations where you have all of these choices and if you pick the right choice you can move on and if you pick the wrong choice you typically die in a very gruesome stick man kind of way <laughs> all very fun <laughs> you know whimsical style deaths like they're just way out of this world quite funny yeah you're not gonna get 2013 Tomb Raider kind of death scenes with the Stickman collection. Yeah, these are all like way out of this world. I think what the one time I'd used a teleporter and got myself stuck in a wall kind of thing. <laughs> so from looking at this, I love the simplistic art style. Like really, it's not like simple, simple. It's not overdone. Cartoony. Yep. That's something I really can appreciate. And the fact that it got that anything can go kind of deal from what I'm seeing is just looks really, really fun to play. The best part about it is some of the choices that you're like, yeah, I'm absolutely not going to make it on this one. What's going to happen? You're like, oh, I I survived. I survived. I survived. (laughs) That's awesome. And you have several different paths to take. So you can play the game all the way through once, but then you have multiple ways of which you can still make it through the game. So you can play it multiple times and have many different experiences. Nice. They're fairly short. So it's one of those, hey, I've got 10 minutes. I'm going to go play Henry Stickman for a little bit, die a few times and have a good laugh. Would you say that's more of an older game to play as far as like demographic? Looking back at some of Looney Tunes and what they put the coyote through, eh? I wouldn't be against it from my perspective. It's not like gratuitous violence. It's goofy. You know, it's no worse than Tom and Jerry. Yeah. Frying pan in the head or the axe chopping off the tail. I mean, it's no worse than that. It absolutely is not. I find it incredibly funny, just like some of the clips. I had to mute the microphone because I was laughing really hard. Yeah, it is really, it's really entertaining to just sit down and play for a few minutes and see how far you get. Something tells me Nate would be teleporting into a wall quite frequently. I think just seeing the different ways you can die. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it looks that funny. (laughs) <laughs> well, and it's one of those puzzle games that there really is no way to know how to solve it to get out. It's just kind of trial and error kind of things, which is how I kind of decided, hey, yeah, that might actually be something enjoyable for me to play when my daughter was talking about it was because it's puzzle style, but it's not one of those puzzle games you're going to get frustrated playing. It's not one of those that 
like times in the inner world because I have finished now both of those games where you're just sitting there going, I know I'm missing something. I know that there's a way I need to solve this. And it gets to the point where like maybe sometimes it's not quite as fun because you can't figure out what this tiny little thing is and then you find it and feel really stupid. This is one of those puzzle games that is always a laugh. Like it is always one of those, if you need to pick me up, it's a really fun one to just go play for a little bit. Or if you also want to pick me up, just go watch Ryan try to play a video game. There you go. That's always an option too. (laughs) Well, I've been playing. Sounds like you've been cleaning, Nate. There are some changes afoot and I need to do some major cleaning, consolidating and organizing of my super mess of my super cubicle. Take the projects that I have. There's basically one I have to button up and the rest I'm going to put on the back burner until some things change. So nothing bad, everything good. All is good in my world. You know, I'm not going to go disappear into the ether of the internet or anything like that. I might have strange conditions in the near future. This will be good for my cubicle nonsense long term. I don't want to get too much into it because, you know, I don't. Basically, it's, you know, there's a lot of things that I've acquired or that have replicated on their own, and I don't know where these things came from. I think that people drop stuff off at my house and I just assume it's mine. It kind of absorbs, assimilates into my mess. So I will be going through sorting and uh, recycling my e waste as much as possible, as well as discarding things I just don't need. You know, it's time. I'm looking forward to an upgrade. I'm cleaning and organizing for an upgrade, essentially, is what it's boiling down to. I have to earn that upgrade. That is the worst part about those kind of upgrades is just cleaning things out. Deep cleaning any room is one of those chores that as I get halfway into it and I've made a bigger mess trying to clean up my mess, that I start wondering why I started this project in the first place. Yep. The neat thing is, though, I did find a tape drive for my Commodore 64 in the process. So, hey, there's that. So now that one and with the rest of the uh, tape drives that I have. I love it when I find things that I didn't know I was missing. Didn't know I was missing it, nor do I need it, but I'm not going to get rid of it. <laughs> well, Nate, that's like saying you need the Commodore 64. That's not a one. That's actually a requirement. I mean, you know, milk, bread, eggs, Commodore 64. It's in the same bucket there. It's one of his food groups. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. I got to get my 8-bit digital on from time to time. So. <laughs> that's what emulators are for. I guess. Well, Matt, I know you said that you were cleaning and organizing, but what else do you have going on as far as things in your world? What? No calling me a video game enabler because Wendy did it first this time? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I'm going to add to the enabling because, you know, that's what everybody says I am. I've been playing a game called ReCore, the Definitive Edition. You know, it's really ironic when you actually look at the company that put this game out, not the developer, but the publisher, because you'll see this weird logo that says Microsoft Game Studios, and it runs perfectly fine on Linux. Sweet. And that's how it should be. I can't say anything. My desk is covered in Surface laptops. Like, Really? (laughs) They're all running Linux, but I mean, my desk is covered in Surface laptops. It's because the Surface laptops and hardware is really, really good. What what do you want me to say? it is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Having had them, I can't say they're not. But uh, ReCore is a platformer action adventure game. It's got a like a 2002 Prince of Persia vibe, like the Sands of Time vibe as far as the platforming and combat. There's some gunplay and some other stuff. It takes place in like this dystopic future kind of deal. You're an engineer who wakes up after... I haven't gotten very far into the story. You're an engineer, Jewel, who wakes up with a pet robot dog. You go around exploring and trying to reactivate certain elements of civilization, essentially. It's just kind of a neat... It's a really colorful game. Not one that got a lot of love 
when it first came out because ironically this is one of the big like exclusives that microsoft pushed for the xbox one so the irony of it seeing microsoft game studios as the publisher and knowing that it was originally pushed on the console and you could fire it up on steam and it runs beautifully on linux yeah that is golden it's really really fun i've enjoyed the combat the controls are nice and fluid so there's just a lot of stuff i like about it not sure how long it is but hopefully not too long because uh, my backlog is i still got a project there <laughs> right i think that the styling the art styling of this is great i can definitely tell by some of the kind of their motion capture graphics or what but you can tell that there's some object collision that's not as clean as it is today the overall like yield of the game just based on the trailer obviously you know i'm just watching the trailer, so all the best parts right but the way the robots are like the dog i think that's great how you create your core robot mm -hmm. i think that's a really neat idea there's like a lot of little really neat game features it actually looks fun to play it doesn't look like it's just a shoot 'em up does it have a good story element maybe it does it looks like it might there is a focus on story yeah like i said i haven't gotten too far into the story I'm probably maybe two or three hours into the game. It's definitely one that feels like there's a focus on story, definitely. That's the big thing that I like about it. I like story-focused games. For some reason, I'm just not much of a people person when it comes to gaming. I like my insular <laughs> experiences, kind of like why Nate has a cubicle. So you're not like me who gets to the point where you just click through the conversations. Let's get to the next part. No, definitely not. I play <laughs> some very slow games, not going to lie. That Less plot, more action. Less plot, more action. <laughs> and I'm the exact opposite. Give me more plot and action. Oh, you want them both. I yeah. like both. Yeah. And this game definitely seems to have it. So I will say that this game does pop up on sale quite frequently. And you can get it for as low as like five bucks. At $5, I would totally recommend it. Oh, sure. Even 20 bucks, I think it looks like it's worth it. But I only want to spend as much money as I'm going to get for every hour of entertainment kind of deal when it comes to games. I can easily probably get 20 hours out of this from just what I've played so far. Because there is an exploration element to it, too. It's been one of the best recommendations you've had, Matt. I can think of a better one that you made you buy on why we were I know, but I can't remember that offhand. Uh, so I do. <laughs> we need to keep probably a page on the discourse, all of Matt enabled recommendations. I already have a list of game recommendations. It's just not one you guys know about. Well, isn't that special? We'd like to continue to the discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse and Mumble or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and all our shows and creators at DestinationLennis.network. For more information, you can find us at... For me, cubicle Links to my regular written blatherings podcast and YouTube channel can be found there. You can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN at Mastodon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN Extend swag along with stuff from shows across the network. And if you're listening to this on May 18th, yes, the day that it drops, make sure you're joining us tomorrow for the live recording of DLN Extend. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. 